the shortest podcast introduction that you've ever heard. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy C-I-Z-Z-Y back at it again with another episode of the College Stutzer Show, formerly known as the Culture Talks Podcast because the Culture Talks, baby, it is what it is. So listen, we back at it again with another episode. And as I tell you guys, every single Friday, I'm coming back with a fire guest. I've yet to lie to you, which means once again, that truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues and I'm living up to it. So listen, you know, it's popping. We live. We, we got another dope guest who I'll have introduced himself here shortly. Um, but to do my little, you know, quick intro based off of my research, we got a former pro ball player on the show today. We got an author. We have a founder of, you know, a multitude of companies. We got a CEO. We got a, a black man. We got Vaz, man. We got a passionate individual um, about entrepreneurship, about business, about real estate. And I know for one thing, that's that's what a lot of y'all care about. So I, I had to have him on here. So really, I'm really blessed today to have the legendary, in my opinion, because I love his content, <laughs> the legendary Art Morrison. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, my guy. Peace, peace, family. It's Art Morrison the third. Please say the third. I'll get into that story a little bit. But yeah, my name is Art Morrison the third, former basketball player, a professional basketball player. Long journey to get there. I'm sure we'll tap into that on this call, but transitioned my basketball career into entrepreneurship, running a youth basketball organization for some time. That was my first business, my baby. I uh, wanted to make more money, so started tapping into this finance, private equity, real estate business that we'll talk about on this podcast as well. So I'm very excited to kind of share my story. Um, if you can follow me on IG at Art Morrison III, we'll get to that at the end too, but I know sometimes people like to creep a little bit while we're going on this episode and I'm breaking down my story and whatever value I can bring. So thanks so much for having me, man. And um. Yeah, let's get to it. Bring the hard questions. Bring what you got. Hell yeah. I love it, man. Well, let's start off with, you know, the origin story. Where where do you come from, my guy? Where'd you grow up? Um, let's talk about, you know, childhood, some of your favorite memories. Let's just start from the beginning. Yeah, I uh, grew up in Jersey. I'm a Jersey boy. Somerville, New Jersey, to be exact. Um, it ain't the worst place in the world, but growing up, it wasn't the best. It's a typical hood. You know, there's a hood everywhere. Um, there's levels to hood. There's like violent hoods. There's drug infested hoods. There's just poor hoods. Mine was a mix of all three. Um, it, depending on who's listening. And it's so funny, America's so big. It's like, I could tell a certain audience or a certain caliber of person in my sphere. Cause you know, I'm in private equity. I'm in finance. There's a certain level of person I'm talking to sometimes. And I could describe my childhood and, and lifestyle, not even in a way that like, I'm trying to emphasize that it was bad. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wait, really? Oh, you guys had, right? But, like, if I'm talking to somebody who's, like, from the hood, too, it's like, we relating. But if I'm talking to somebody who's from, like, really bad areas, they, like, you know, it's like, oh, boy, you was from the country, like, they'll say to me. Or they'll say, like, man, you grew up privileged. Um, but anyway, so I grew up, like, in Jersey. Uh, the town would be considered middle class, but the little area I was in wasn't the best, like, Everybody, I tell a story in my book. There was a, a time that I went to the basketball court with my friends, like 11 to 12 of us. And we all came home to no fathers, no fathers or brothers, because mm. there was a raid in my town. They literally locked up everybody. Wow. Can't make this up. I had like, I had two cousins, my brother and my dad all incarcerated the same day. And everybody who I was at the basketball court with went through the same thing. So it was just that type of environment I grew up in. At the time, you don't think... I'm growing up bad or I'm growing up poor because you don't know any different. But in hindsight, having gone to college, the first person in my family to go to college, right? Having played professional basketball in another country, seeing the world more, I started looking back. And that's when I wrote my book because I started looking back like, yo, this ain't normal. You know what I mean? Like some of the stuff we were going through where it was not normal. So anyway, overcame that um, and became a pretty good basketball player for myself because that was my escape. And we talked about offline before this podcast. For many people where we from, black and brown kids, that is everybody's dream, basketball or rap or music of some sort. So I was a basketball guy and I was pretty good. You can't tell on this podcast, but I'm six foot seven. So I also was blessed with, with some height and, and ability to play basketball at a high level. Um, but even that was rocky because my parents were going through a divorce and financially long story short we ended up moving a lot I went to five different high schools Jeez. so 
Yeah. So it was, you know, high school only four years. So my career was all chopped up. It was tough to make a name for myself anywhere, but I was, thank God, talented enough to get a college scholarship. Went to college um, and I had to sit a year because of credits and different schools I went to. Played two years, third years, obviously my senior year. Tore my knee, blew my knee out. Um, and was applying to jobs, regular jobs with a bum knee. And I decided I was going to play overseas and I just went after it, man. I ended up pretending to be my own agent and emailing 3,000 <laughs> 3, teams myself. And I ended up getting one contract. So that's how I became a professional basketball player. Wow. Um, but I'm telling this whole story to say is that like, where I'm from and how I grew up just set me up to overcome all of those things. I didn't even know at the time I was overcoming. I didn't realize till like 2018 when I wrote my book, like I said, looking back, I was like, you know, this ain't normal. This is crazy. This was amazing. This was terrible. And I wrote a book around it. Um, so like, if you want to really get into the details of my story, you can check out my book, overcome the key to unlocking your superhuman, but yeah, bro, Jersey boy grew up a little tough, made it out. Uh, my means was through entrepreneurship and real estate. So now I'm passionate about teaching others that as well. I love it. And I, and I love the way you, you described uh, the different levels of hood because <laughs> that, that really hit, especially based off the type of guests that I have on here. Every single guest has a different story um, depending on where they grew up. And they always start off with like explaining kind of the level of the hood that they came from. And yeah. I think it's important though, because it, it, it provides perspective, of course, but it's so interesting when you think about it from that point of view, it's just like, yeah, everyone, you know, had their, their, their levels of challenges, but there's different types of hood. And when you go from city to city too, and I'm sure you've experienced this now being able to travel, like I lived in San Diego, I lived in Santa Cruz, California, I lived in LA, but I'm originally from Kansas city, Missouri. So I hung out in St. Louis, Springfield, Chicago. And so like being able to see the hoods in all these different places, it is mighty, mighty different. And I remember the first time, I went out to LA and I was like, I thought I was in like a rich, beautiful neighborhood, ended up getting pressed like four minutes later for what I was wearing. I was like, oh Lord, oh snap, we in, we, I did not know. LA, <laughs> LA hood is confusing. You like palm confusing. trees, everybody grass is cut. Okay, Man, no, I'm good, I'm Grass good, is baby. cut, houses look, you know, relatively, you know, nice and colorful and stuff, looking like we in Palo Verde or something. Like, yeah, right. anyways, Press. but. But I, I remember I my, my fifth high school I went to, like, so the reason why I always, like, preface, like, the level of hoods, like, I don't have, none of my friends were, like, getting killed growing up. So I know I have extended friends from different hoods, Philly, Chicago, whatever, where, like, that was their level of hood. Mine was, like, okay, like, all of our dads were, like, either in jail or on drugs. Mom, moms, too. We all were sharing one Xbox. You know what I mean? We all, like... We, I had to walk down the street to get catch up from somebody's house. So it wasn't until I started my youth basketball organization, which, you know, we did a lot for black kids in the community, but my, my organization, just because of where we're at, attracted a lot of business from upper class or middle class, like white people or, or Asian or people of other, mm -hmm. you know, ethnicity or race. And that's when I started peeping like, oh, y'all get a new pair of basketball sneakers every, <laughs> every basketball season. I had one pair of sneakers from sixth grade to eighth grade, you know what yep. I mean? If I was lucky. Um, and it wasn't the sneakers that, you know, that I really wanted. It was some mm -hmm. some BS that my mom could afford. So I had the protégés from Kmart. <laughs> bro, everybody had the protégés, the Shacks. The Shacks was Shacks. big when they dropped. But Shacks then, you was know, cool though. Those is the underrated shoe. No, 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 no. No, nah, they was underrated, opinion. but still they wasn't the AIs or the yeah, T-Max. Nah, absolutely not. I, I don't know how old you are, but I no, know. No, no, I'm familiar, it was like AI, the A5s with the Jadakiss commercial. Like, that was the one. The T-Max was big. Uh, you know, you had the Kobe. Like, so you, it was levels, bro. Like, certain kids had those. And even today, it's like, you got the Stephs, LeBron. These sneakers is 200-something dollars. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, I got a PlayStation 2. But by the time I got a PlayStation 2, I think the PS3 was coming out. <laughs> you know, like, that was the way I grew up. So yeah. it's, we could laugh and like, ah, like that's still not the hood, but like, yo, it is because as I'm growing in this space, and we'll talk about this on the podcast financially, as a kid, you shouldn't have restrictions on what you can reach or achieve mm -hmm. because of your financial situation as a kid. So like if your mom can't afford to put you in basketball or karate or afford to get you a three or $400 video game that you want, like, bro, that's poverty. 
<laughs> like that's that's poverty in the grand scheme of household income. You look at real numbers, like that's poverty. If your mom, you grew up and your mom was making twenty two thousand dollars a year and had four kids, and your dad has no income, like bro, that's poverty. On paper, it's poverty. You don't like people don't have to be in the streets like shivering or getting shot every day mm-hmm. for it to be poverty or to be the hood. It's like you know you. <laughs> it was the hood bro we was poor like we couldn't get like we went shopping school shopping once a year if i seen a shirt i like i didn't even ask like you're not asking for a shirt i literally grew up like i knew i would go to the store i never you just didn't ask for nothing you knew you wasn't getting it and that's not normal right but it's normal to you when you're growing up and like you mentioned when you like get older you start to reflect back on it you know i was thinking about that i was like man i really went school shopping once a year and half of my school shopping was i had to go to summer school to get the hundred dollar gift card so i could go to you know buy half of my clothes and then my dad would match the hundred dollars to to get the rest of my clothes and i was like yo that's crazy i was like i was like i basically went to school to work so i could get money to pay for half of my clothes for the next school year and i was like nine years old and so you know like that's not regular exactly and like you know again people can you know and and we'll and we'll we'll transition from here but i do think it's important perspectives from some listeners who don't you know didn't have that experience um you know you can have you know, I always tell myself that I'm grateful because number one, I was blessed to have both parents in the household. Number two, um, I could always eat, I always had food and I had shelter over my head and I, yeah. and I didn't have to like open the oven up to get heat and stuff like that. But on the flip side, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this, this is the type of food I'm eating for school lunch or th- I'm on free, I'm on free school lunch. I'm on, if I'm getting food from home, it's like, you know, some, some random noodles or something and just throwing some random shit in there. So it's good. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, the, the, the iconic, you know, hot dog sandwiches and bologna sandwiches and stuff that, you know, so, you know, there's, there's levels, but anyways, I'm, I identify with that. And I love that you share that because it's important perspective for people to realize. Yeah. It's like middle-class poor, like, uh, like lower middle. I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it's funny. And I, I love it though. Like even you said, open the oven for heat. Like, yeah, like that's, that was it. That's where I was. Like I still had shelter for the most part. I had, you know, my, my dad was home for the most part, but yeah, that, that oven was open though. That oven was heating the house. <laughs> Man. And, and you shared a lot about your, you kind of like give a little run through of childhood through teenage years, but I want you to kind of share with us, you know, who were maybe the two or three most influential people in your life, you know, between zero and 18. So growing up before you leave the house, before you go to college, you know, the first kid to go to college, who were some individuals that really impacted you in the way you think, behave and and how you were moving as you, you know, entered adulthood? Yeah, for sure. So there was only one person that I actually know, like personally, and that was my older brother. So I do have an older brother. Um, I'm the youngest boy, there's four of us, but my brother and I are 10 years apart, like nine and a half years apart. So his role was like, you know, if you imagine when I was seven, he was 17. So you can just imagine a seven-year-old seeing a 17-year-old and how they dress and how they move and how they carry themselves, how that would impress on you. But then, I mean, even at 17, seeing a 27-year-old, right? So that was big. That was like, I got to see someone who is literally from what I'm from be something, even if it was just the best drug dealer on the block. Like I got to see that and have some sort of aspiration, which is huge. A lot of people don't have that. It's slept on. Um, But besides that, I was big on big Kobe Bryant guy. Love it. Love it. Just because, you know, before it wasn't Mamba mentality yet. That didn't come to like late. I'm talking about like 2005 and before it was just like the confidence he moved with the baby face. He was young. He was fierce. He was cool. You know, a lot of people know like old head, like, like Kobe that's like mentoring LeBron and them and all that, like from 08 and beyond. But before that, Kobe was like the young kid on the block that was really cool. And like dressed a little edgy, had a little baby fro, which was like cool at the time, had the armband, like, so I was a big Kobe guy since then. Just loved the way he walked, loved the way he, all that. So, um, and as he got older, it's like we aged with him. He also is, now Kobe's a little more than 10 years older than me, I think like 12 years. But again, it was just like that age gap that was just like, 
you could look, it wasn't too far. It wasn't like looking at like your pastor or something. Right, right. <laughs> it was like, nah, I, I, okay. He you knew you were going to be there soon. Right. You knew you were going to, you could directly aspire and like make immediate change to be like that individual. And then the other one is uh, Jay-Z for sure. Um, he was like slightly older, but made it look cool to be older, cool to be mature. You know what I mean? So um, these are all, again, the whole purpose of this podcast, like we talked about, these are all like black man they look like me like they all kind of tall they all have like that same broad shoulder stature that was like important because it was like y'all could really like close my eyes open them up again and be that person if i chose to be that person that was like big for me because it was like i believed i could be whatever i wanted in this world so and when you had had examples like that that are already close to you it just further like yeah i could do whatever because they did whatever i love it and And I think that's like, you know, again, like one of the focuses of the podcast being representation in in different careers and industries. I think when people think about faith, one of the most awesome aspects of faith or what assists with faith with an individual having faith, especially young kids, is being able to see somebody who looks like you came from similar situations, circumstances, be able to achieve. You know, I've heard Will Smith and plenty of other motivational speakers say, you know, when when you see somebody who looks like you do something, you know, any specific thing, there's literally no excuse for you to be like, I can't do that because they came from the same or similar circumstances. They look like you, they dress like you, they're the same height as you. So, so that, you know, image for, uh, of representation is super powerful. And again, like you said, the reason why you're here today. So, um, so, you know, we talked about some challenges uh, of childhood and, and the realities that you went through, but can you maybe quickly share what, your favorite childhood memory is if you can think of like one thing i know you said you said you and the homies used to share one xbox that could you know although although it's a sign of a of a struggle it could also be you know a communal aspect of happiness but what is a what is one of your favorite childhood memories that you've held on to today it's um there's so many because i no matter how much i tell my story i still consider my childhood just amazing um Cause like I said, nobody was getting killed around me. Like it wasn't a scary thing. I could wake up six, 7 AM and go to the basketball court. And I knew my friends would be rolling in and we would just play all day. So I'm going to say that's my fondest memory. Like I come from a small town, but it was literally like three, four of us, five of us to like go to the NFL and like, you know, play basketball in college professionally do some track stars, like division one athletes. So my fondest memory comes from I got to go on that journey with Frank. Like we created that. We were literally waking up early in the morning and competing against one another. It was like pretty amazing. Like you probably never heard of my town before in your life, Somerville, New Jersey, but like I can literally off the top name four or five people that went and ran division one track or went and played NFL football, played overseas like myself or division one, division two basketball. Like, so my favorite thing was, that part like my mom didn't have to supervise me it wasn't no cell phones I could just wake up and go compete with friends it was like a two block radius um so growing up playing basketball and whatever sport you were into at the time and it was bigger than just playing basketball yo it was like you could go hoop then take an hour off and all walk as a group to the corner store and just bother the guy that works at the corner store and steal and whatever then go and cool down at your friend's house and 10 of us like waiting to get on the sticks on Xbox yep, and yep. go back to the court again. It's only like two o'clock. So now you're back at the court, right? Like summer times <laughs> growing up were like just the dope. So right. yeah, yeah, for sure. That's probably my fondest memory outside of like, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Facts, facts. And, you know, oftentimes, at least my experience has been, you know, when you're tall, when you when you when you're black when you when you play sports when you're funny and you're an outgoing individual you know people just look at you for for those standards okay he's funny he's cool to be around he's also an athlete i like being around him good energy cool um if you would if you identify with that what is maybe something that people you grew up with or people now that you're entering new rooms and and new communities and new industries what what's one thing that you feel like people most misunderstand about you my girlfriend's sitting behind me. She's going to laugh or roll her eyes. But I think it's that I'm like a full-blown genius. You know what I mean? Like, I just, people don't, 
because I'm tall and like handsome and charismatic, you just don't think that that person is like a full blown, like I'm smarter than everyone in the room 90% of the time. You know I what like I mean? That. So, yeah. And I, I've never actually even said that out loud, or on, but I'm trying to practice doing so because it's just true. Like people just aren't typically, even when I was younger, I would score higher on tests. I just was, I was just better at things that required a higher IQ or intellect. But I never embraced it because it wasn't cool mm-hmm. to do so, or nobody yeah. was empowering it. Nobody was like, nobody like was I remember, that. I remember growing up, bro, in church, I was in Bible quizzing. It was like literally like a game show for like Bible verses. So I, I memorized wow. fifty like percent of the Bible, and I was ranked like nationally and at a state level. Like I have a bin somewhere. That's here crazy. That's crazy. First off, because I've never heard of that. Second off, because that is some crazy memory. <laughs> No, it's like really good memory, but you're going through it. You're not thinking of it. It's like, uh, I want to play basketball. My mom has me in Bible quizzing, but like I was crushing it. Even like, yo, when I was 14, I built a computer from scratch. Like I bought the parts off eBay and I I built a computer. I was like, I was younger than 14, like between 12 and 14, I was like into building computers. It was a weird thing. But like, even now in real estate, you just see it. Like, I just, I know how to crunch numbers. I know how to strategize and problem solve to the point where, you know, millions of dollars of worth of people trust me with their capital to invest in real estate and make them money. Like when, did, when did that become your reality though, where you kind of, re- did you kind of know since you were young, like, Oh, I think I'm a little bit more skilled at these technical things than like my, my people surrounding me. Or did you kind of, did it have to take until, like you said, in 2018, kind of looking back on life, did it, did it take you until then to realize, Oh shit, like I've kind of been ahead of the game for a while. Now, so I always knew I was smart. Like my dad would call me Inspector Gadget because I knew how to work <laughs> on technology and all of that. My my best friend Mason, who he's like my cousin, he went to the NFL. We would spend days together and we would play like, I don't know if you remember the game, Metal Gear Solid um, was big at the time. Grand Theft Auto was out as well. Anything that had story mode, we would play together, but I wouldn't even touch the sticks. I would just tell him because he was nice <laughs> with the sticks and I was nice with strategy. Seriously, so- wow. Like, that's what we would do. So I knew I was smart, right? Like, smart. Genius, though, this year, I I would say, last year, this year, because I just realized, like, yo, you've gone on two, three business ventures, four business ventures, and they all pop. Mm. Like, you're good at everything. When you're good at everything, it's bigger than talent, right? It's not talented. The talent means, like, one one thing that ability to adapt and be good at everything i i think makes you a genius like kanye for example is a genius not just because he makes good music nobody was everybody was like fighting him on the fact that he said he was a genius because he was just a musician so no matter how good his music was if he said genius they were like come on bro but then it was sneakers and then it was overall fashion then it was film and creativity then it was like album art and like and it was just this whole thing and now transitioning into technology right (laughs) now into tech so it's like that's a genius bro so i'm this year or last year i would say i started seeing that in myself when it's like you grew a youth basketball organization everybody loves your content on ig that i fully produce and create by the way like whether i'm editing myself or just like producing telling somebody else it's not like i hire an amazing company i just drop a bag and they create this content no like i facilitate all of that so like that was strike two then the real estate thing, how fast we scaled the real estate business, that was strike three. And then like strike four, if you get four strikes, was now we're scaling the real estate business at like an SEC compliant level. You know what I mean? At wow. real like level of private equity, which like some people might not even know what that means. But it went from like fixing flipping houses to like doing this at a scale that some people are going to come and go on this earth and never even understand or know about. You know what I mean? Which is Period. like dope. Period. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. So I want to, I want to, you know, start the process of your adult career and journey. So let's start with, you know, coming to the end of college, you know, what did you study in college? What college did you go to? And then let's talk about, you know, you injuring yourself, applying for jobs Let's get deeper into that, that you touched on earlier. Yeah. College best time ever. So I go into college, a computer science major. So this he, is where my, he is a genius, ladies and gentlemen. He is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that's where my like smarts or genius clash, though, with my charisma and athletic ability and all of that, because I didn't there's literally not enough time in the day to be a computer science major. Like that reaction you just had was the reaction that everybody gave me when I said I was a computer science major. 
They're like, all right, so you're a star basketball player and you're a computer science major? Like, what kind of nerd? You should have seen the people that were in my classes. It was like literally, like if you, if I asked you right now to draw a nerd, like <laughs> I don't know how you would draw them, but they were, that's who was in my classes. So I started seeing that. And I also started seeing me get like C's and D's mm. in something that I actually like doing, computer mm. science. I'm like, all right, this is not going to work. I actually almost failed out. Um, that same year, my dad was like 60 something and got arrested well, um, and was doing like jail time for like two years. So I was just like kind of angry at the world. Um, I was sitting that year. I couldn't even play that year. I told you so I lost yeah. a year of eligibility because of my high school situation. So my grade slip, I almost fell out. So that summer, I switched my major from computer science to um, communications, which is everything you see here. This the podcast mic the camera quality. That's how I know a lot of these things and how they work. Um, because communications is like computer science is like the inside of the computer communication is like the outside of it. Like, so it was like TV, radio, film, public speaking. I felt like that was the best use of my talents. So I transitioned to that and it was great. I was like, and I say this, not even just to sound cool in the podcast, literally star student. Like I was just really good at that. So I found like, I would say, another passion that like I actually like radio hosting, speaking, video editing, producing film. That was my major. So um, sophomore year, junior year comes around. That's when I can play now. So I'm playing basketball. Now I have this communication major. I'm getting straight A's. Life is good. Um, basketball is going well. I'm doing pretty well. The team's doing well. Um, and then senior year is when I tore my knee. So um, I didn't say this earlier, but I went to Caldwell University. It's a small Division II school in Jersey, about an hour from where I live. So still in Jersey, but far enough to say, hey, I went to college. Right. I was on a full scholarship, <laughs> on a full scholarship which is cool because, like, we, I wouldn't have gone to college if I didn't play ball. Like, we just couldn't right, afford it. Pay for Nobody it, right. was taking out that student loan. Um, and it was actually an expensive school. So that was a blessing. But that senior year, the unthinkable happened. I never was injured before, and I, I tear my knee. I blow my knee out, like meniscus, ACL. MCL, whatever you can blow, like my knee was blown out. And in game I, I, or in practice? In the game, yeah. Mm. Um, it wasn't like gory or anything crazy, but it, was, it definitely was like, yeah, you tore your knee. So I tore my knee in the game, and uh, that like really shaped me into like who's speaking here now. Like I was confident at the time. It was just like an empty confidence, though. It was like it wasn't – I wasn't confident because I knew I overcame so much. I was confident because of honestly all the stuff you mentioned. Like I know, like I'm tall, got a big smile, I'm charismatic, like I'm I'm confident. People like me, and this is easy. It wasn't like that substantial confidence of like I overcame some stuff. Nobody could say nothing to me. Like I believe in me because you know whatever, whatever. So that tearing my knee like was huge. It didn't send me to a low place like I would have thought. It like elevated me. Wow. Um, yeah, that's the opposite of what normally happens. <laughs> the opposite of what normally happens. So, you know, I was sitting in bed, my knees all swelled up, wrapped in a million things. They got your knee wrapped in, ice, all of that. And I'm applying the jobs. And, you know, I was good at communication. So my future was bright. I knew, like, I'm going to get a communications job. This is light. Um, and when one job I applied for was to be an intern for the Brooklyn Nets, which at the time, this was the season after they had won like four games. They had like the worst season in NBA history. I don't know if you remember Jesus. that. Yeah, it was bad. So I'm like, bro, I slam my laptop shut. I'm like, am I really applying to jobs like this when I know I'm talented at basketball and I had a goal since I was a kid to play professional basketball? So I slammed my laptop shut. And that's when I went on a, a tangent trying to figure out how can I get overseas? And I, um, you know, basically posed as my own agent and marketed myself and got a contract um that's kind of how my college career went went by quick um but it was like up down up down it was like freshman year it was like kind of weird switch my major or whatever then like the middle was like oh my god look at me I'm a college kid mom like look at me There's, I live in a dorm I'm getting girls like this is great and then senior year was just like holy crap none of that matters now you're a 22 year old with a bum knee and all you have going for you is basketball what you gonna do so that that part of my journey that's when it elevated me into like this bigger way of thinking of like entrepreneurship, um, taking, you know, take grabbing life by the horn, so to speak. It sounds cheesy, but gra grabbing life by the horns, like um, moving without fear, all that type of stuff. So 
I love it. I love it. And and quick note, where uh, what country did you end up playing in? Oh, so I played in Portugal. Oh, I had six. small. Yeah, I had small stints in other countries, like going to try out and things like that. But yeah. ultimately, my career was short, which I can explain that in a little bit. But Portugal was my main stint. So can you speak a little bit of Portuguese or what? I could. I used to be able to, <laughs> like, understand pretty fluently and then speak it, like, enough to get food or know where the bathroom is. Or, like, like you matters. can't talk about me in front of my face. Like, I mean, like, if you're talking Portuguese in front of my face, I would know. I love it. But, it's a beautiful um, language. Beautiful. It's so similar to Spanish. And, you know, like in America, Spanish is very important because there's a lot of Hispanic people here. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to pick up. But unfortunately, it's so much easier to learn something when you're submersed in it. The minute exactly. I left Portugal after a year, it was, I know it, it wasn't the same. Happens me every time. My family's from Tanzania, from East Africa. And every time I go back, like, you know, I pick it up real smooth for the month that I'm back. I'm like, okay, I got this. And then we come back to Kansas City. And I'm like, damn, two months later, I can't remember nothing. Got me over here on Duolingo trying to catch up and shit. But um, but no, I love it. So I kind of want to talk about like where the the, the mindset um, it, and it might have been there from when you were a kid, but the mindset shift happened to like shift towards entrepreneurship, business ownership um, and trying to do something off your own muscle and, instead of, you know, going and, you know, I quote unquote relying on somebody else's um platform that they built to be able to secure the bag so like was this were you in portugal like playing basketball but then back in your room like just thinking about business ideas like how did that go for you what was that process like yeah so i thought it was basketball i thought that was me like controlling my fate and all that um and now i have a passion for athletes professional athletes because what nobody's talking about some people do now but it's just a job bro nba nfl LeBron James, he's got a high-paying job. Um, at this point in his career, he's secure. Right, if he retired, right, yeah. But <laughs> Understand what I'm saying, though. Like, what I learned overseas was if you get hurt, like, they're dropping you. Mm-hmm. They need a player that's not hurt. Contract done, send you home. We got to find somebody else. If they lose a sponsor or need to save money, you cut. Like, you don't have control over your fate. Your agent pushes another player over you. You don't get the opportunity. So when I realized the lack of control that I had, that's why my career ended up being short. Before I went, I knew I had like a small entrepreneur bug. Like, I, right, I'm going to go play overseas. I'm going to use my name and charisma and all that to start a youth basketball organization at home. And I'm going to run camps when I'm home for the summer and maybe do some workouts. And I'm going to build this big brand. And then I'm going to go back overseas every fall and then do that in the summer. That was the plan. Um, but after that first year, when I realized the lack of control I had, I said, why let playing for somebody else or working for somebody else, which is what it is. Why let that get in the way of this entrepreneur opportunity? So like for two, three years, I was still like going back and forth overseas, trying to figure it out. But once I saw that it was only getting in the way of growing my youth basketball organization, I went all in on that because I knew I can control my dollar, whether I was only making a thousand a month. For 10000 a month, it was all under my control. $1,000 a month that you fully control hits way different than 20000 a month that you got to work for for somebody else. You got to follow somebody else's rules. You rely on a paycheck. So I took that risk and went from overseas to running my youth basketball organization. And I never looked back since. That was when it really I really realized, like, yo, entrepreneurship, I could go home, look at the whiteboard, write a bunch of stuff, a bunch of ideas. Okay, boom, we're going to do, okay, we're going to do eight weeks of camp in the summer. If I... If I train, if I make a thousand a week from camp, that's eight thousand for the summer. Okay, cool. But then if I train five kids a day at a hundred an hour, that's five hundred bucks. Okay, cool. But then if I hire other coach, okay, we got an after school program. I could draw all of that and then go do it. Mm. Nothing would stop. I could just go execute. Mm. So once I peeped that, I'll, yeah, this is it. This is it for me right here. Like <laughs> entrepreneurship, this is lit because it allowed me to be my true genius, my true creative self. I never could be that before. You could be as smart as you want to be in a class, but they're grading you on how smart you are based on their books and their thought and all of that. Same thing in basketball. You could be as creative as you want to be. Ultimately, you're playing in somebody else's offense. You're playing for somebody else's team, blah, blah, blah. You don't never have full control. Entrepreneurship for me was like full control. And when you're somebody like myself who has a lot of ideas and you just want to get them out and execute, it's very important that you have the space to do that or you'll drive yourself crazy. You'll never be happy. I love it. I love it. And so, you know, 
as I'm sure people can assume, like you said, you started a business. So you're the founder of above maximum basketball. Um, you know, I know for a fact that there's a few, uh, you know, former college basketball players that listen to this podcast that don't, you know, haven't, haven't discovered their, their next route. So what would, what's the business model for running a, uh, I don't, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit about what your business model was. Was it a camp? Was it strictly training? Was it all of it? Man, let me tell you something. And I was in college, yo, this is how I got put onto the camp games. A guy named Bill Morans, he runs New Jersey Basketball Academy. And he hired me basically my whole college career to work his camps. Sometimes he wouldn't even be there. So I'm like a 20, 20 year old kid <laughs> coaching like a couple, like seven, eight, no, that's young, like nine, 10 year olds, basically on like my off days, Thursdays or whatever. I'll run the camps for the weekend. I'd be like second in charge or whatever, but yo, the camps would be packed out. Cause I'm doing windmills during dead time. I'm like, you know, I could dunk, I could, I could shoot, like, you know, I'm an athlete, right? And I didn't even have no name in the area. Like, I wasn't like a big name among like kids, you know, because I was at D2 school. Like, it's like, bro, unless you pay, play for the Nets or Rutgers, like, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who know Jer- from Jersey, Rutgers is yeah, a big yeah, 10 yeah. school in Jersey. But anyway, with this name, image, and likeness thing going on right now, <laughs> if you are a college player, I can tell you right now, get your pen and pads out. First of all, run your own events. Don't partner with nobody. Don't like let somebody put your face and name on a flyer and you go, do, bro, go run up the bag on a camp every summer. A couple camps. Speaking engagements. Go speak. T-shirts. Come up with a dope brand. Get a logo for yourself. It don't matter if you're a Division three ball player. Everybody is something to somebody. Find your niche and your talent and then brand it. Get a logo, all that good stuff, and then slap it on a T-shirt and sell it. Hoodies, sell it. That's how you get started. You start finding out at an early age, 18, 19, 20, what people know you for and what people will support you on. Do a podcast. That's easy. A YouTube channel. Record your workouts. Grow a YouTube channel. Do everything that I'm saying and just put it all under one brand. It don't matter because as you grow, you like, yo, if I was doing that at 18, 19, I might not be in real estate because I might have grew a brand big enough that like I was making enough money off of the internet. I ain't like you guys got TikTok now. Like, yo, push your brand, believe in yourself, push yourself in front of everybody, sell a product, and whatever catches, keep doing that. So I recommend doing everything I just said. And you might say, these t-shirts ain't making no more, no money. My design trash, nobody's supporting. Okay, no t-shirts. But they listening to this podcast, we're gonna keep doing that. They watching YouTube, we're gonna keep doing that. Right. Okay. So maybe we're going to slap the YouTube or the podcast logo on hoodies because people like this. Maybe they'll buy hoodies if it's that and not there. Okay. So we're not doing that merch. We're doing this merch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Now people like me on a podcast. Let me go speak. Let me go motivationally speak. Let me go get other college or high schools teams inspired. Let me go speak in schools and charge. Let me, right. But my point is do as much as you can now on the entrepreneurship level at a young age, especially since you're allowed to now in college so that by the time you graduate you'll be surprised man you might not have to apply for jobs you might have some you might have people applying for your jobs you might have people applying for you bro sis whoever like that is the time is now entrepreneurship boom is in full effect take advantage that those are the steps i would take for sure i love it i love it so let's transition into you know, you, CEO um, and co-founder, I believe, of United Home Relief, which is a millennial-owned private equity real estate firm. Some people that just heard me say that don't know what the beep that means, right? So let them know what you do, what you guys do um, for Break It Down for Dummies. So basically, we use other people's money to invest in real estate. So the people who don't have time to invest in real estate um, they give us the money to do it for them. And then we make money, they make money and everybody's happy. That's how the world runs right now. So when you see people who say, I flip a hundred houses a year, they're not putting their own money into a hundred houses. They're using other people's money, um, which is where the term private equity comes in. We emphasize that we're millennial owned because we're both young under 35 and we, um, have a soft spot for millennials. We have, a we want millennials to be able to invest, millennials to be able to make money too, because 
historically, this industry, this space was reserved for older people, financially astute people, the people who already making money. So we wanted to create a platform or a firm that says, hey, you know, you never invested in anything before. We'll be your first investment. We'll teach you as you go and we'll talk you through it. So um, from a real estate side, we execute strategies, like I mentioned earlier, fix and flipping. Everybody loves that, the before and afters. Um, but we also, and Kate, I just walked by, she's co-founder, but we um, fix and flips, multifamily properties, um, collecting rent on a monthly not only do we teach all that, but we execute it on behalf of other people and their capital. Capital I love it. money, for those who don't know what that means. I love it. Now, I feel like most people's next question, at least beginners, their question is going to be like, number one, how do you find these people who have enough money to invest in a massive amount of property? So let's start there. What does your outreach method look like? How are you finding these individuals? Um, are you just on Instagram? Is this just friends you have from basketball? Like, like how, did, how does that work for you? Yeah, so there's some rules you got to follow when you're dealing with other people's money. So the rules for someone who I already knew, friends and family, are different than someone who might have just come off Instagram and they're, they met me specifically because they want to invest. That's a whole different type of thing. And then there's people who I might kind of know, right? Me and you did this podcast. We ain't talking about real estate. You might hit me after this, like I want in and we partner. That's different than if I raise a fund of friends and family, which is different than if I raise the fund of money of strangers. So saying all that to say, the answer to your question, before you even determine who that person is, is branding and marketing the way that we all know it and imagine it. And that is, I mean, whoever's listening, you probably can answer all these social media, a website, a billboard. I mean, what, like, how, why do you buy an iPhone every year? What makes you buy an iPhone, right? Commercials, like all, all those same mediums. Marketing is the same for every company, whether it's McDonald's or Apple, for the most part, the same. It's just about getting in front of as many people as possible and then doing what? Providing value. So whether you know it or not, when you watch an Apple commercial, it provides you value. They might not be educating you, but they might make you think, man, that's cool. McDonald's might not be like feeding you or teaching you about burgers, but they might, they might um, make you laugh. That's value in their commercials or advertising and marketing. So for us, we don't go those routes. We do in some of our content, but ultimately we use YouTube, Instagram, all that to give content that provides value. Hey, let me teach you quick mini lessons on TikTok or Instagram about real estate. Intrigue you, show you the benefits of real estate, and then I have a solution for you. Here's the solution. You know, um, invest with us or purchase our mentorship and we'll teach you or hop in our fund partner with us right so we offer those solutions same thing when you watch a commercial a iphone commercial it's like oh you want to connect with your mother face to face from across the country you want to manage email organized way you want to be able to copy and paste things from ig directly to your calendar here's how you do it and then they give you a solution iphone 25 or whatever right, right? It's like that's branding and marketing at its finest that's the same thing that we do our solution is ultimately people growing their money and learning about real estate in the meanwhile. So we just push out a bunch of content on a bunch of channels, um, value that feeds that, that need. I love it. I love it. I hope that explains. It does. Version. It does. And um, so before I ask my, my next question about, you know, still about, you know, private equity, but um, before I ask that question, I do want to ask you, what is a, a common myth um, about real estate or real estate investing that you've seen in our community that you maybe want to debunk or that you have to, you know, debate with people about on, on a daily basis with people who aren't in real estate yet? Like, what is something, and if that's not a clear enough question, what do you think is like something that holds most people back in our community from getting into real estate? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You're a good podcaster. These are great questions and great research on your guest. It's a uh... People overlook that. But anyway, uh, there's a couple. Number one is that, first of all, real estate is responsible for 90% of millionaires historically. So like, it's something you have to invest in if you want to be wealthy. You can't skip real estate. Um, people get rich just off buying the roof over their head. So the common misconception is that like owning real estate is hard. Oh, what if the hot water heater goes? Like, 
okay, a hot water heater literally is like $400 to repair or replace maybe a thousand max to install. But if I own the property and I'm collecting a thousand dollars in rent every month, then I just lost one month. But the rent is cash flow. That's after the mortgage. Mind you, that rent is also paying down your mortgage. Meaning if you buy a house for 300, they're paying that $300,000 loan down. And then over time, that 300 is also going up because of supply and demand. The earth isn't getting any bigger, right? So when you buy real estate and you own land, that asset is always going to appreciate because people are being born every day, right? I want to get into that. Equity, equity, <laughs> equity all day. So you got equity, cash flow, power and control over that actual land. So many different things. Roof over your head. Hey, ain't nothing even up there. So <laughs> you see, got they're seeing some ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, should I be concerned? But, <laughs> but yeah, right. So the benefits of real estate outweigh any myths that come with actual real estate. Mm. Before that, in our community, we always like to tell ourselves that you need money or you need good credit. Not understanding that real estate isn't purchased with people's money or good credit. It's purchased with businesses. So we start an LLC every time we purchase a property. With an LLC, you're literally birthing a child. But it's a superhuman child. A child that can be what I call Voltron or Megatron, if you watch Power Rangers, or Megazoid is Power Rangers. Megatron is Transformers. But anyway, it's like the ultimate machine that has different parts so with an llc i might say i got a 500 credit score i can't buy no properties false if i identify a property and i say hey i'm art i want to buy it and i have a 500 credit score they're gonna say no but if i say hey my name is art and i'm the owner of art buys houses llc and i want to buy it they're gonna say okay well we need someone to guarantee the loan on behalf of your business and then i can go to you and i can say yo you want a partner? You jump on my LLC. We'll both be members and you're going to sign with your credit because you have an 800 credit score and you sign to buy this house. And I'm going to give you a piece of the many benefits of real estate. I can give you equity. I can give you profits. I can give you cash flow. I can give you, I can let you live in it, whatever, whatever I want to benefit. I want to give you. That's how real estate is purchased. So in understanding that you'll realize you don't need money and you don't need good credit to buy real estate. You just need the knowledge, the game that I just spit. And then you need actual real estate. You have to know how to find properties and how to find deals. That's the big misconception. So people, that's what holds people back the most. It's like, yo, if you got what, if that's the other thing, you asked me the college question. I wish I knew this in college because I would have graduated, got with my four roommates from college. No, forget graduating, my bad. (laughs) Instead of renting a house for my basketball team in college, we would have just bought one. Mm-hmm. four of us would have jumped on as owners we could have used any of our parents to sign for the house we could have paid our parents rent and then we graduate and get jobs we assume ownership from our parents that would have been an easy investment right there to set yourself up and then if you move away and you can't live in it you just collect rent and you take your portion of the rent from that house like it's actually a layup in real estate it's really easy and the way i learned all this was by being broke and having bad credit My first four or five (laughs) deals were done. I had a 580 credit score and no money. My first five deals. Now I'm on deal number 22 and I I do it like clockwork. But you know, when you're you're lacking something, you learn how to make do. Grew up. That's how like, that's why the way I tell my story, it's all related. It's like when you learn how to overcome certain things, when you grow up, you still have that overcome mindset. So I know, okay, if the goal is to buy real estate, and I don't have no money or credit, I'm not going to change the goal. The goal doesn't change. I'm going to just change it, figure out a way to make it happen. So that's the common misconception of real estate. You need good credit. You need a lot of money. Like you don't, you just need access to money. And the way you get access is by bringing an opportunity or a deal to the table and knowing how to show people, hey, this is a good deal. So you need knowledge to know how to explain that. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's really easy for anybody who's listening. And, and just for anybody who's still hard-headed after what you just said right there, quickly, just, just so they're like, because I know some people will see, somebody will break everything down, and then they'll be like, but what about this? Like, what is it? So I'm going to ask you, you know, if you're using other people's money, you find the deal, you bring it to them, somebody's going to be like, but how are you getting paid off of that? Like, if you're using their money, and it's going to be like their big deal, and they're trying to make that, like, where do you make money? So Where's your fee in that process, I guess, is the question. And what's that called for individuals who's just straight focused on just the bread right now as we talk? 
Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple ways. Way number one, if the Yeezys come out and you want a pair, but you don't know how to get them, and I got them, you know they cost 200 but you can't get them. I'll get them for you, but I'm going to charge you 250 Are you going to give me 250 Right? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> I, made, I made 50 That's how you make, that's one way. Way number two is if you don't know how to get those Yeezys, but I can get them for 200 but I need 200 from you to get them. So I know how to get them. You don't, mm. right? But me and you know we can sell it for three hundred. Would you give me the two hundred to go buy them, and then we sell it together and make three hundred and split the hundred with me? I love it. Yeah, <laughs> all day because you still made fifty and you still you ain't do nothing. You just gave me the two hundred bucks. Way number three: if we knew that we could buy five pairs of Yeezys and charge people $100 to wear them once, and we can charge them $100 to wear them once 30 times on a month and make $3,000 a month by renting out Yeezys, would you give me the $200 to buy the Yeezys in the first place and then split the $3,000 with me, yes or no? Yes. All day, because you ain't do nothing. (laughs) So it's about finding deals that have enough space for everybody to eat. That's it. So if I buy a house for 300,000 and I need 60K from you to buy it, boom, we got a house for 300K with both owners. But I manage it. I get tenants in it. I collect the rent, right? I'm the one who came up with the idea in the first place. And the property, the mortgage is two grand a month, but it makes three grand a month. Bro, you'll gladly take $500 a month out of the $1,000 profit for the rest of your life. You get $500 a month for the rest of your life for only a $60,000 investment and you get half the equity. I love it. I love so it. So it's just about the ability to explain the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. If you can explain the benefits of it, people are going to throw their money at you. You know why? Because your money, if it's sitting in the bank, is getting 0.003% interest. Inflation is 7%, which means if I put 100000 in the bank right now, next year is really only 93000 I lost seven grand off the rip just because I didn't do nothing with it. So if I can put my money in a deal with you and make anything greater than 7%, I'm winning. Anything greater than 0.003% the bank is giving me, I'm winning. So we're at an advantage. If you have a high income skill like real estate, you're at an advantage all day because it's like, oh, you don't want to invest with me? That's fine. Go ahead and lose money. For us, we're like, we never even have to have this conversation because there's literally a line of people that want to invest. Right. It's a line of people because that easy example where we buy it for 200, sell it for 300, and we split the 100 profits 50-50, we're doing that 12 to 20 times a year. So if you're an investor and I'm like, yo, for 200 bucks, you can make $50 20 times. That means you money back plus you ten yeah exactly yeah you you ten x your money because you put up two hundred and you made two thousand right no fifty fifty times twenty not two thousand what's fifty that's four thousand so you twenty times your bread that was that was probably the best analogy I've ever heard (laughs) with the Yeezys that was clean that was clean I just gotta I gotta acknowledge you for that because I was over here like God damn that is good. Yeah, no. like, yo, I always use sneakers because sneakers are hot. It's like, no, you could go fine. wait in line. Well, they don't do lines no more. They got, like, the app and stuff. But when I was growing up, you had to you had to go to Foot Locker at 11 p.m. for them to open up at 6 a.m. to maybe get the sneaker. So if you're going to do all that for somebody, the least they could do is give you the bread to get the sneaker. Man. <laughs> So in real estate, if I'm doing all the work and your money is just funding it, then at least we could do a split the profit. And that's how you can make a living in real estate without using your own money or credit. Boom. Boom. If I had the little boy where I could be like explosions, I would press it. But, you know, y'all, y'all get the point, ladies and gentlemen. That was fire. Run that. Run the past 15, 10, 15 minutes back, ladies and gentlemen. And you, you got a new plan to secure the bag in real estate. It's just it's a big bag, too. It's, a, it's not big like bag. a... 
It's not an easy bag. Add a couple zeros today, and that's the real amount of money that you can make in real estate. It's huge. Big bag. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to ask you, in, in real estate and just entrepreneurship overall, what are maybe, in your opinion, underrated tools that are indispensable um, for your business? Being friendly, aka networking. Just like talk to a lot of people. Um, being outgoing, aka not being afraid to share what it is you're doing. Um, music industry, like uh, record labels, they make a lot of money off just being outgoing for talented people who aren't outgoing. So imagine being able to sing beautifully or rap or being really talented, but you're not outgoing. So you're not going to post it a lot. You're not going to go on the corner in Times Square and sing like some people do. That's where record labels make money. They do that on behalf of you and get you seen. So you can save a lot of money and get yourself seen just by being friendly, networking, meeting a lot of people and, and sharing your talent. Those are two intangibles that I think like, cause yo, you're going to suck. Like I, <laughs> I, you suck. Like I sucked at real estate in the beginning. I look back and I cringe like, Oh my God, like that's embarrassing. I look like an idiot. Like you never rap as good as you think you rap when you first start rapping. Like you're never, when you do a crossover in basketball, like it's never, it don't never look like AI when you first <laughs> try it in the game. Fact it takes fact. years and years for you to get that AI like real shimmy involved. It takes years and years for you, your voice, you to, like if you go listen to 2008 Drake, like I cringe for him because it's like, it, he can't sing, it's just, bro. It's just like different. <laughs> but now 10 years later, it's like, oh, he actually can sing. Like he's not like yeah, a man. singer rapper, he's actually singing, but it took, like he had to do that for some time. So I'm saying all that to say is that understanding and fearlessness when you start something to treat it like it's the end product. Like, yo, this is that crack. I don't care what you say. That is like the biggest intangible. Like if you make t-shirts or you design clothes, like it's going to be trash. Just know it's going to be trash, but you got to just move like it ain't trash. And eventually with consistency, it's no longer going to be trash. And that's when you really blow up. People don't make it to that level. Like they don't stay consistent enough or persistent enough to make it past the part of like not being trash. Right. They'll end when it's trash, which is like the dumbest thing ever. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yo, leave while you hot. If anything, you're going to leave while, it's, while your product is still due. Like people give up. You know, we talk offline about your podcast and some of the stuff you want to do. Like that's a major talent in you that you just keep rocking regardless of what equipment you think you should have. Like you just rocking 100, what do you say, 111 episodes? Yes, sir. You know what I mean? So like that is the intangible talent that people overlook. There's somebody. No, there's not somebody. You're looking at somebody. Me, my friends, we struggle to get a podcast off the ground because everybody's like, oh, we got to do this. Or, oh, we got to do that. Like, no, get your butt on Zoom in front of the webcam and record a freaking podcast. That's it. Go yeah. print the T-shirts and sell them. Right. So that's the intangible. like action taking, unapologetic action taking. I feel like my answers is long tonight, but that's what happens when you get me on a podcast at 7 p.m. And hey, and that's totally fine. Look, uh, long <laughs> answers mean more in depth means more value for the people. So whoever listens to this is in for, you know, a, a good one. Right. And and hopefully takes action. And like you just said, unap unapologetic action taken. So um, I have uh, my one of my last questions is going to be who has been your most important professional mentor. But before you answer that question, I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, before you start seeking out a mentor, before you start asking, you know, high value people for answers to the questions you have about whatever industry you're trying to get in, whether you're a personal trainer, a new personal trainer trying to ask, you know, somebody who's been in the game for 20 years, or you're just getting into real estate, or you want to get into real estate, and you're commenting under art arts posts, right? Make sure you do the work before you come asking questions, because a lot of times individuals will pop up asking questions that are clearly just right there in front of you. All you had to do was a Google search, listen to Preach. one podcast and you'd have it already. And when you come to these people who are busy and they're hustling and they're, they're, you know, high impact people, high value individuals, they don't got time to just be spitting out answers. You could have Googled and it shows you're not serious. Now I say this, no disrespect to this individual. And I ain't even going to say their name, but if you happen to listen to this podcast because you like art, I apologize, but I don't apologize at the same time. You posted a reel the other day and 
in the reel, you had the, the the words, you know, the words that Instagram reels allow you to put up there, it like reads the caching for you. And it looked fire. And I love that people use it. Even I just started using the caching things a few months ago and I love it. But it's super easy. You know, anytime you're trying to make your your content better, you should be searching through Instagram, looking at what uh, options you have to make your content better, looking at what is at your fingertips that the, the platform's already providing. Easy search. You just swipe up, you see caption right there. You could have figured it out. But instead, you commented on Art's post and Art responded, but like, dude said, this is amazing. How did you do these captions? Art's like, bruh, it's, a, <laughs> it's provided by Instagram. It's like on the platform. And it's like, I, you know, no disrespect to that individual. I'm just saying, you got to make sure you do the work. You know what I'm saying? You got to do the work. I just felt like I had to use that as an example to do the work before you seek out a mentor or seek out answers from high impact, high value people. All right, without, with that rant done, who has been your most important <laughs> professional mentor, my brother? Yeah, so I had said my older brother, like he, he definitely put me onto the real estate game. His way out after he was in prison and stuff was real estate. So it was in the back of my mind. So when I got done hooping, I had the opportunity. But at that time, he had already blown up, already had a full-blown business, education space, all that. So now we're partners. But in 2018, like it, it was different. He was in Atlanta. I was coming back from overseas and whatever. So, and he's my brother, so it don't count. <laughs> my first deal ever hope everybody's still listening it's a long episode <laughs> my first deal ever i sold the property to my mentor i found a property i didn't have the money to buy it so i i bought it on paper and immediately sold it it's called wholesaling but i bought it yeah. on paper and immediately sold it to who is my partner today his name is reggie and he's been my biggest hands-on mentor because he was already doing fix and flipping before I was. So he was able to directly answer any questions um, while also doing business with me. Now, nobody does mentorship for free. Reggie's a pastor of a church, so he does it like a little bit kind of for free. Like he would have still showed me game, but I provided value. I literally bought a property to the table. And he had a construction company. So he was doing deals on the construction side. He never actually flipped the house himself. So this was actually the first house that he flipped. From that deal, he and I went on to do 10 to 12 more wow. flips and, and counting. Like he's actually my full-time partner. So although he taught me many things um, and taught me the foundation of fixing flipping specifically, I was able to take that and kind of branch out. But my, my point of telling this story is that I immediately provided value. So what I sold him the house for was cheaper than he would have normally got it or cheaper than I would have sold it to him if I didn't need mentorship, right? So I was able to give a discount for mentorship. So I made some money and I got mentored. I got to shadow the deal. I got to take credit for the deal too. That was part of our agreement. Like, yo, let me use this deal to tell people, hey, I got this first deal, invest in my second one, right? So um, he's definitely been the biggest impact. Reggie Williams is his name, but you guys, if you follow me on IG, you'll always see him. He's probably been the biggest, like, most hands-on, like, okay, this is somebody who's already doing this. They're mentoring me, now I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Not like I watch their YouTube videos or, like, I paid them for mentorship. Uh, him and my brother are the, are the biggest ones, but Reggie's been the most hands-on. I love it, man. This this episode has been fire. You've been providing spitting game the whole time. I really Number one, enjoy your energy. That's important for me when I when I when I get on a podcast and talk for an hour and a half, right? Um, <laughs> so I enjoy your energy. Um, but number two, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come, you know, spit some game to the audience. So before we sign out, um, it's your last day on earth. You lived to 150 years old. You've you've experienced everything you want to experience. You've you've dominated and in every area you want to dominate in. But your great great grandkids are sitting at your feet and they look up to you and they like great great grandpa. If you could give me one piece of advice on how to live a good life, and this is the last thing they're going to remember you for, what are you going to tell them? I love this question, and you're going to hate my answer. Grandson, make a lot of money. And that sounds bad, but I'm 32 years old, and I'm sticking to it. When I'm 50, maybe I'll say, spend time with your family. It's not about money or success. Right now it is the way I grew up and the way like I see what it does. It's what you do with it that makes like oh, money's the root of all evil, whatever. Right. The impact, right. But it's nice to have the ability to have that choice. 
not having a choice is not cool, man. I'm not even talking about childhood, even just recent years of struggling entrepreneurship. It's like being broke is not cool, man. It hurts. You can't enjoy, you can't travel. You can't enjoy time like you want to. You miss out on events. You can't pay bills. People are hitting your phone with straight negativity because you can't pay them. Like that's just no way to be. You can't eat how you want to be. You can't be as healthy as you want to be. You can't like, it's not cool. So it's not cool to be broke, ladies and gentlemen. Remind yourself of that. It's not cool. It's, it's not cool to be broke. I don't even mean cool in like the sense of cool. I just mean like it's not fun. Life. It's, life. Yo, it sucks. Yeah. So the quality of life is reduced. If I had one, if I was on my deathbed and I had to give somebody one piece of advice, I'd be like, oh, come closer. <laughs> I mean, like, make a shit ton of money. Like, yo, that's the advice. Like, yo, make a lot of money because. It just opens up so many doors for the experiences for it, it just is everything, man. Like you get to have your thing, like not being able to have your thing just stinks. Like you're an adult and then you have to make money. So like now you hate the way you make money mm. like that. That's mm. the part I haven't even experienced. And I'm saying this, I couldn't imagine if I was making even a hundred K a year doing something I hated. Right. Like, that's even that's almost even worse than like just not having it is like having it but like hating how you get it like financial freedom is so important man just find a way to make a ton of money other than just having a job or whatever like figure it out and, and you'll be happy as long as you got a good heart and good intentions and all of that and you can start that process by listening to this podcast three times this week that's an hour and a half times an hour times three but y'all can do it it's valuable <laughs> my guys fire go follow him on instagram go ahead and share your social media channels and your website where they can find you and support you moving forward yeah art morrison the third a-r-t morrison i-i-i art morrison i-i-i as in the third my dad was a junior he was in and out of prison a lot so my mom used to not let me just put art morrison she wanted to make me put the third on everything because she didn't want my name and my record being conflicted right. with my dad's right so anyway art morrison the third on ig twitter linkedin uh everything tiktok my website is art morrison the third.com you can get my ebook for free there's some other free content up there follow lock in i'm still a small time brand for now so get with me because it's going up from here and i might not be that accessible so let's connect let's build i'm very excited for what's to come and I want to bring as many people with me as possible. So thanks everybody for listening and hopefully I'll see you on my IG page or website or something. Hell yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that's the only way we can grow. Share with a friend and comment. Let us know if you enjoyed this podcast. This is your boy C-I-Z-Z-Y signing out. Salute.